Welcome to episode 21 of the Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. My name's Tori Walker and it is my pleasure to introduce you to the first of our very short summer series. So every year our church hosts an evening for women and their friends where the women, there are a number of women from our church who are interviewed about their life and their faith. This year it was called Summer Sweets and Stories and the theme was Even If. Even if the worst should happen, what is that going to do to my faith? Will I still keep trusting in Jesus? Now, I love this evening. I love inviting my friends to it. I love um, hearing Christian women open up about their life and faith in a conversational interview. Is that any surprise to you? Uh, this year, three of the women who were interviewed have kindly agreed to let me publish their conversations on this podcast. So this first one uh, was conducted by Louise Campbell and recorded and edited by Phil Campbell. At the beginning, Louise mentions MPC, which is the name of our church, and she talks with her interview subject, Elise, about some really significant things that have happened in her life and faith this year. It's quite a short interview, but I really hope you enjoy listening to it. Well, Elise, thanks for coming to share your story. Many women probably here don't know you that well because you've only been coming for a short time to MPC. I guess I started coming partway through last year at the recommendation of a colleague of mine. Right. And um, I have to admit, I did sneak in a few times and scuffle away quite quickly because um, I wasn't sure whether it would be for me or not and I didn't want to feel that I was going to let anyone down. But over the course of time it became apparent that I really felt like I fit in. And you actually grew up in Melbourne? Yes, that's correct. I did grow up in Melbourne and um, um, I only really moved up here about four years ago now. Right. Yeah. And you're one of four sisters. Yes. But I gather you share a special bond with one of them. Yes, I have an identical twin called Imogen mm -hmm. and um, we have been together and we're really close and I don't think it's anything that most people can understand what it's like to have an identical twin. It's like having an inbuilt best friend mm. that you share everything with. We talk pretty much every day oh. and um, yeah, we're, we're really there for each other the whole time. And you've pursued similar choices in life. We have and it's been funny because we used to try when we were younger, we used to try and do different things and we try and separate and every time we tried to separate we'd somehow end up coming and ending up doing the same thing. So as we've got older we've actually embraced our similarities yeah. and are quite happy that we do very similar things and like the same things and like to wear the same things and cool. And you said once to me that it was your grandmother who was your early Christian influence. She was, and she was a wonderful woman, and I think my biggest regret with her is that I didn't recognise when I was younger how what a, an amazing woman she was. But she was always very consistent in how she'd speak about Jesus to us, and she never forced it on us, but she was just very, very steadfast. And I think the biggest thing that she did, and I think the biggest gift that she has given me as a Christian is that she ended up passing away in the church and mm. it was just such a profound 
situation in which she passed away that that I think both Imogen and I really stepped back and said, hang on a minute, this is this is really serious. And so I believe she'd actually given a children's talk that morning. She had. She was asked, and it was on the anniversary of her husband's death, and she, she gave this talk to the children, and the children left to go out to um, their kids' church. And then she went back to her seat and sat down next to my father, and he said he just felt her lean on him, and he realised that she had died. Um, Dad and another member of the congregation tried to resuscitate her, but um, that was to no avail, mm. and um, she died. And I think the, the saddest thing for me was that Dad, I think Dad felt really, really bad that he hadn't been able to resuscitate mm. her, but um, certainly as I got older and, and as I've when I became a doctor, realised that that was probably the most incredible death mm. to have. And again, I think it really, really cemented my faith, mm. that situation. So um, to me, I feel like she gave, again, gave me a really amazing gift mm. that that, was, that were her last moments um, with us. Mm. So your study and training as an obstetrician brings you to Brisbane. Yeah. And this was to be your fifth year of study, but somehow yes. life has taken a bit of a change. It did. And again, in some quite interesting circumstances. And, and I think, again, this was a pivotal moment for me. So the year started out um, with me having a vertebral artery dissection. And, and that in lay terms? Oh, in lay terms. So the vertebral arteries are one of four main arteries that supply the brain. And they go, the vertebral arteries go up the back of your neck, the paired vertebral arteries. And then you've got the carotid arteries go up in the front. So the vertebral artery on my right-hand side um, split such that blood was going... If the, the arteries are formed in layers. And it's mm. like an onion, I guess, if you will, that blood split up through right. a layer... And then you get a blood clot forming on top of that. Um, and the symptoms are a severe headache. And I was having, um, I guess, mini strokes. I didn't have a full-on full stroke, which is fortunate. They're the sort of ones that you recover from. So then I was stuck in hospital on a heparin infusion. And I was absolutely bored to tears. And I was in there. It had been about 10 days, I think. And I was still struggling to get my warfarin levels at a therapeutic range. And it was one Sunday morning, it was the 26th of February, and I remember, remember that. Remember it well. Yeah. Remember it well, Bill. And I was just lying back watching the television, and I was, you know, really, really bored. And I just gently rested my hand on my chest, just like this, and thought, oh, hang on, there's something, something is actually in there that shouldn't be in there. And I told the medical team, and they organised for me to have um, an urgent mammogram and ultrasound, and... Um, it was confirmed that I had the cancer on the left and then the mammography showed that there was also a cancer on the right side as well which was at an earlier stage but then mm. things moved very quickly and I had the bilateral mastectomies um, and then chemotherapy after that and then my most recent surgery is that I've had my um, uterus and mm. ovaries mm. removed. So cancer diagnosis at the best of times or worst of times is one of those things that really just shakes yeah. the core of your being and probably just throws you into question life and life's yeah. existence. 
And you said something once to me also that this was the cancer you had to have. Well, look, I think at the start of the year, I think I'd got my dream job. My career was heading exactly where I wanted it to go. I felt like I was invincible, absolutely invincible. And I think that's when you need a bit of a shake-up, really. Mm. And it was a big shake-up. And in a couple of ways, that all of a sudden I realised that things could happen to me. That Because I think when you're a doctor, you, you, start, you do feel a bit invincible. Mm. You think, well, you know, all the people we deal with that are unwell, they, you know, might drink a lot, smoke a lot. You know, there's lifestyle factors that most of us are very, very careful not to do ourselves so you do get a bit of a sense that you are not going to get hurt but I think it you know, I realize that I can and I think that will give me a lot more sensitivity I guess towards my mm. patients and I think the startling thing about it was that I realized how ignorant I was I thought I've gone through all this training medical school residency fifth year of being an ONG registrar and I realised just how utterly ignorant I was of what people go through when you get a major diagnosis. There, there were things that I just never expected in a million years. So I think it's, in a way I feel really pleased because I feel like I'll be able to be a lot more empathetic with my patients and it's the little things that you realise are important and I think the other if you can call it a gift, in a, in a way I felt like God was looking after me because if I hadn't had the vertebral artery dissection, I would probably not have found the cancer until it was quite advanced. Mm. Just because my job and life are so busy, I actually don't, it was only that I was lying in hospital that I found it. And so I really feel like God protected me um, in that situation but the other thing that I've realized is the number of people out there in the community that volunteer and I knew there were volunteers in the hospital but I just never really was was that cognizant of them being there but when you get diagnosed with something like this you all of a sudden realize when you're the patient that there's all these volunteers in the hospital that do things and actually I'm not sure that the hospital would run without these people and we've had the pleasure because yeah. you've been off work that yes. you've been able to come to our Wednesday groups that's right and that's been fabulous as well so I've really enjoyed that because I felt like I've been able to connect more with the church and really build friendships so again you look at it, it was a you know what was a, a bad situation actually had many many positives in it and one of the big positives was wow so, I mean, that, that was just fantastic. I really looked forward to coming every week. It was, the fellowship was great. And, and there was the Bible teaching as well. And there has been so much good come from it, you know, in that bonding with people at the church, noticing people that I hadn't even really paid much attention to before. Um, and I think my education, it's actually contributed to my education as a doctor being in that situation so that's been good and I think the other thing it did is make me really want to make the most of the time here you know and when I think about it we all have a life expectancy and we, we all have that from the time we're born and some people 
you know, well, some babies don't even get past the first trimester in pregnancy. That's their life expectancy. It doesn't make their lives any less valuable because they are very meaningful to their parents. Um, and I think, well, why, you know, people ask... I think people think... I've had a few people say, well, you know, shouldn't you be angry at God for this? Well, no, because this is how we're made. This is part of life, and that's what makes life so valuable is that we do have a life expectancy and, and we are mortal. So um, I guess my attitude now is, okay, I've definitely got the big wake-up call that I'm mortal. I need to make the best of things now. And you said at one point that spiritually that has been a wake-up call as well for you. Yeah, it has. Um, it's really interesting. I think when I first got the diagnosis, it was a split second I thought, why have you done this to me, God? What have I done? Mm. And it was really only a split second, and then all of a sudden I realised, hang on, it's this is inappropriate to be angry with God. I need to look for the good in this. And I have, and there's been so much good that I've really felt protected and embraced and, and looked after in all of this. Mm. So... It's been a very positive experience in so many ways. And I guess it's it's put you... I mean, even mm. the fact that you've come back to church has put you in touch with Christians, in touch with the yeah. Bible, and basically... Oh, absolutely. And again, like the timing of it was just phenomenal, that I'd been talking to a colleague of mine about how I really wanted to find a church that I fit into, and she recommended that I come here. Just the timing that that coincided with me all of a sudden, you know, getting to feel comfortable here, happy to come here every Sunday, and then and then um, having such a major illness. And I've got to say, I don't know what I would have done without the church. So again, I think it's one of those things where where God was working to make sure that I was looked after. The last words of the song that we've heard are, It is well with my soul. Yeah. I think I thought about that a lot and I found the song um, lyrics and, and I've read them many, many times and listened to the song many times and I have to say it really resonates with me. And I think in the last few weeks when um, I was reading the Bible, and I printed this out, and I had it on my I have it on my fridge. It's a little passage. I don't know that it's it's not one of the ones that's often quoted, but it's from two Corinthians chapter one, verse three to four, and it says, "Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God." and I read it and then I read it again and again and it really, to me, if I can take what's happened to me and I can take all of the kindness that's been shown to me from a whole range of people and then I can provide that to my patients, then I definitely would say that it is well with my soul. And I look at it, it's on my fridge, I look at it when I get my coffee in the morning and I pray that I will be able to do this every day at work. 
Well, Elise, thank you for sharing your story and it's so yeah. encouraging to hear that yeah. Christ has worked in your life through this. Yeah.